News Talk 1110 wbt Pete Callender here, and uh, joining me in studio is actually running for uh, Court of Appeals, Judge Michael Stadding, and you can check him out at his website, michaelstadding.com. That's S-T-A-D-I-N-G. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Do Pete. I need to call you Your Honor? No, sir. No, I don't have that kind of ego. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, all right, well, let's first off, uh, you're running for Court of Appeals, so what exactly is the Court of Appeals, and, and uh, what is its role in our system? So it's the second highest uh, court in the state. So Supreme Court's at the top, and then you have Court of Appeals just below that. So anything that comes out of those county courthouses is appealed. That's appealed, it goes to the Court of Appeals for the most part. And they handle about 80 to 90% of those appealed cases. Uh, the Supreme Court's important, but ultimately 80 to 90% of those cases get handled there and never see the light of day at the Supreme Court. So it's... In off, uh, it often is sort of the last stop for these cases. Most, nine out of ten times, yes, okay. sir. Okay, so why do you want to be on that court? Because um, you are a judge right I, now here in Mecklenburg County, right? That's right, yes, sir. So I, I feel like I have something to offer the voters here, and, and it's this. I've done work as a civil litigator, as a prosecutor, as a defense attorney, as an attorney for uh, police officers. I used to represent the Fraternal Order of Police, and then now I have this kind of final panoramic view of the courtroom, which is having the opportunity and, and you know, thank, thankful to the voters of 2018 in Mecklenburg County to, to have that judicial experience. So tell us a little bit about your, uh, your background. You mentioned some of it there, uh, JAG officer, U.S. Air Force. Yes, sir. Um, which is why he keeps calling me, sir. Um, <laughs> and, uh, but also you are from, you're from Charlotte, right? You're from the area. I, it's, for me, this is an honor to be on WBT because I, I grew up in East Charlotte, uh, went to Independence High School in Mint Hill, and um, after going to college and law school, just kind of came back and stayed in Mint Hill. Um, but uh, in terms of my background, like I said, I've, I've, number one, I always talk about my family. So I've got three kids who, you know, my wife uh, has been a fantastic mother too. She actually gave up her career to homeschool them. Hmm. And, uh, you know, being a parent just gives you so much perspective. Otherwise, you don't get. But I started out in uh, my career, my professional career in civil work and uh, found pretty quickly that I did not like the desk and I needed the courtroom. Hmm. So went to be a prosecutor in Mecklenburg County under Peter Gilchrist. I was going to ask, was that yeah. Gilchrist? Yeah, it was both three years apiece. And then under Andrew Murray after that for mm-hmm. three years and uh, kind of did everything you, you can do in that office and just got to a point where. You want to see the other side of the Constitution. You want to see the other side of the courtroom. So, um, And then also, you know, being young, uh, kind of just wanting to start my own practice and, and set something up. So I did that for six years. And you practiced, what, criminal law? That was most of it. Uh, okay. so, so, yes, and, and I'll say, you, definitely you learn how to defend people, how to get creative, how to do your job on that side of the Constitution, on that side of the courtroom. But it taught me how to run a business. Yeah. Uh, it taught me how much you have to pay in taxes, you know, how to take care of other folks, that you got to work more than five days a week and beyond nine to five. And uh, and then the other part of that, which, you know, kind of an interesting mix is I got to represent the Fraternal Order of Police locally. So, you know, what that usually looked like is you get a call about 3 a.m. and somebody had to discharge their weapon. And at that point in time, it's treated almost like a criminal investigation with the police officer. So they have rights that attach at that point. And, and I felt fortunate because they thought enough of me to put me on their, their list. Mm-hmm. And so I would get a call and I'd go out there and be with the officer and make sure their constitutional rights were protected. So you, you got the prosecutorial side, you got the defense side, you got the law enforcement side, which is a part of the yes, judicial sir. process as well. So are these, you're also, I uh, should mention, board certified specialists, right? That's a big deal for lawyers, I know. It was, uh, so I was crazy enough to take a second bar exam. And uh, I have to say, it was actually harder than the first. 
because all the answers were chained together. If you miss the first one, you're going to miss the next 12. Mm. But uh, so, so did that. Um, and then in 20, 2016, uh, my wife was, was very kind in that she let me go off to commission officer training school at the age of 35 and, and join the JAG Corps in the Air Force. And what they've done there, and, and the reason they took me in at my age was because of my litigation experience. And so I, I took, Well, you probably also could do some push-ups or something, right? There, there had to have been some physical component. I, the, absolutely. Every morning at 4 a.m., there was definitely a physical component there. Right. Uh, but they, they, they let me do court-martials, which I'm, I, I love doing that. That's federal court, so that's kind of a, also an additional perspective. And then, you know, completing that, when, when you sit as a judge, you, you get to learn things you would never learn as a litigator. And uh, I just feel so fortunate to have had that opportunity. Such as? Well, um, you know— setting conditions of release in criminal cases because you know if you're a prosecutor you're looking for one result if you're a defense attorney you're looking for one result but you know as a judge it's your job just to follow the law the statutes the constitution and and call those balls and strikes and and you when you're a litigator you're you're kind of in it's like fantasy football you're kind of on your team and you don't think about that so it's given me an opportunity to consider that so why um why is there a perception if not a reality that People uh, are getting out very early and for very low amounts when they are committing, for example, shooting at six cops and they're released within hours. Why is that happening? I cannot speak for anybody else and what they've done in their courtroom or whatever, you know, a magistrate may have done in front of them. Um, What I can tell you is... um, in a county like Mecklenburg, there may be pressures that they're not in other places, and some people may succumb to those. Um, I do not do that. I follow the the law uh, the way it was written. And so if you have someone who is a violent repeat offender um, and, you know, someone that thinks that, you know, they, they get a, a monitor and it has Velcro on it and they can just pull it off and not use it, then I'm sorry. I mean, if if that's what you see as a judge, then you're not doing your duty if, if you don't call those balls and strikes right. So if someone comes in, they're a danger to the community. They don't have ties to the community. They are likely not to come to court. They cut their monitor off. I mean, wh- why should they get out of custody? So is that a, so I guess then this, this is the judgment call you make when you look at the factors. That's right. And someone else, let's say it's me, I don't want to get you in trouble with any other judges. <laughs> and I don't know any, I, I don't, I, I don't have any names of any yeah. judges that I would, throw under the bus on this, uh, not that I wouldn't object to doing it, I just, I don't have them. Right. So, but if I'm the judge, and we both look at the exact same criteria, as you just mentioned, those three things, that they're a danger to the community, they're violent, they cut off their ankle bracelet. Well, how do you and I come to different conclusions under law about what that bond should be? I, 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 have, I have no idea how some of these decisions are made. I mean, it's, it's actually perplexing to me when, when I see, when I hear what was put in front of a judicial official yeah. and then the results they get. I mean, everybody's got their discretion, uh, but at the end of the day, we got to, we got to uphold our oaths and do our jobs. Well, and I think this was, it's a very similar trajectory that we saw 40 years ago where you had all of the, you know, the rising violent crime in the seventies. And then people were like, okay, that's it. We're going to start doing mandatory minimums. We're going to start telling judges, you have to, uh, sentence people based on this criteria and we're going to we're going to take some of that away from judges is that a better path to pursue or uh, uh, under this you know reform effort i don't know you know it, it just seems like it's an unwinding of all of that stuff 
I think voter education helps. And if we can, you know, know which judges are doing which things, I think that helps. Because in, in North Carolina, we've always hated the king. Uh, and that's why we elect our judges. And so if people go and they vote for the right judges, then that's how we can correct it quickly instead of waiting for a bill to go through the legislature. And hopefully there's not a veto. And then hopefully there's not a lawsuit where a judge could break it. Do you want to stick around for another segment or you got to run? I've got time. If okay. You do. All right. Well, uh, let, let's do this. Let's uh, take a quick break and we'll have more with Judge Michael Statting. He is running for North Carolina Court of Appeals. All right, News Talk 1110-993-WBT. My guest is Judge Michael Stadding. He is running for North Carolina Court of Appeals. Oh, so there are two issues I just, the one I just remembered. The one I think that your brother tweeted me about, which is how you ended up here, because I was talk, I was going over the candidates and the races and all this. So um, your opponent in this Republican primary for this race, he keeps, he's focusing, I think, a lot of his attention on Facebook. Uh, but he's also uh, attacking you for party affiliation changes for becoming a Republican. For that's, becoming that's a, right, right. Yeah. Okay, so what, yeah, so so what is the nature of the attack, and and uh, what's your uh, I guess explanation so, for it? You, you know, when when you're younger, um, what's what's the old saying? If you're 25 and you're not a liberal, you don't have a heart. If you're 35 and, and not a conservative, you don't have a brain. Well, I think in my life that's probably true as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you, you, you have kids. I think that's the single biggest point of change in my life. And it kind of makes you more conservative, if not a lot more conservative. You, you, you join a certain church. You join the military. You own a business and pay 40% uh, in taxes to the federal government. It just pushes you more and more on the spectrum of being conservative. And so it was growth for me. And uh, I, I came to it on my own conclusion that this is the right way for me to live. This is the right way for politics to be. This is the right way for society to function. So I came to that. And so the entire basis of his campaign is that I became a Republican, which, um, you know, two, two, two red flags there for me. And I, I just want to say, full disclosure, I have not negatively campaigned against him whatsoever. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, yeah, and I'm asking but, you to respond yeah, to this. Yeah, and I appreciate yeah. that. And so, number one, this is straight out of Jeb Bush's playbook from 2015. And it, and it didn't work then uh, for the presidential election. I, I, I would hope it doesn't work now. And, and then number two, I've learned a lot about negative campaigning. When people do it, it's because they have no substance. They don't have anything to offer. And after you know, kind of reviewing his credentials. I think that's the issue. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, uh, uh, how long ago did you make the, look, I, I, I've yeah. switched parties too. I'm unaffiliated now. And that was, you know, 20 years ago. So, right. so w- uh, how long ago was it? Was it like yesterday? No, uh, no, absolutely. Actually. So I, I wasn't involved in politics until 2018, full disclosure. And then party leaders locally, um, judges, conservative judges locally, they, they knew me as a practicing attorney. And then our current, Congressman closer to where I live, Dan Bishop, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they, they pulled me into the political realm. And, uh, you know, Dan Bishop's not known for hanging out with incredibly liberal. Not really. <laughs> not really. So, yeah, so they, they knew where my heart was at, and they pulled me in. And so ever since then, I mean, I, I've got a record as an elected conservative judge, um, and, and I've shared some of that with you. And yeah. actually, I've never run against a Republican in a primary in my life. I've, I've always run uh, against Democrats. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, that's that's where my record's at. So um, what are the biggest issues you think facing the judiciary 
at the level you're trying to get to, but also maybe at the local level too, because you are at the district level right now. Yes, sir. I mean, you know, I'll start locally where I, where I have my job. I mean, as you indicated, crime is an issue we face every day uh, in those courtrooms. Um, I mean, there's district court covers every possible subject you could touch in the law. So there's something in every courtroom I could point out. Moving up to the policy level courts, driving down 85, going to 40, going to Raleigh there. Um, you know, judicial philosophy has been the main thing guiding these decisions lately. So if people are happy or unhappy with it, it's how the judge views the world. And uh, some judges think that, you know, that, that their decision making is better than the legislature and that they can be judicial activists and that they can legislate from the bench. So although, you know, Article One uh, in the federal constitution, Article Two in the state constitution, where we elect these representatives, we the people, they go in and make decisions for us that, you know, then you have a handful of judges overturn them. I'm not sure that makes good sense. Yeah. So it, 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 they're essentially acting as a super legislative body. Yes. If it's even a body, in some cases, it's just one judge. Completely substituting their judgment and uh, maybe not in some cases applying the right threshold to overturn laws. Mm-hmm. So this is a statewide seat, correct? This yes, court of appeal seat. So. How are you getting around? Are you go, are it's, you getting around the state? Uh, what's that what, been like? So I have that red Jeep I have out parked outside the station. That's two hundred sixty six thousand miles on it right now. Um, we started this. When I say we, most of the folks campaigning uh, started this about sixteen months ago. I think I was the first one out the gate, January twenty twenty one, and uh, it has been you know grassroots. It's been driving to um, as many counties as possible. I'm in the sixties or seventies at this point in the primary. And just getting out there, shaking hands, talking to folks. I, I give out my number, and, mm-hmm. and I give them an opportunity to ask me any questions they want. Um, you know, what, what do you find people ask about? Oh, my goodness. You, you could get any question, and you never can predict what it is. Okay. Um, no dominant theme or uh, issue like voter ID or something like that? that or, I, or are you even allowed to discuss any of that stuff? Well, so, is it like sort of like the Supreme Court where nobody talks about the cases that could come before? Well, I think that's why judges end up always talking about their background experience because the, the code of conduct, you know, basically, I don't want to say it prohibits us from talking about cases, but the minute you say what you're going to do with an issue, you'd be, you'd, you'd be ineffective because you'd have to recuse yourself. Yeah. No, and that makes sense. All right. Well, anything else you want to add here before uh, we wrap up? Yeah. So uh, Mecklenburg County, we have not had a Republican judge run uh, for a statewide court in 20 years. Um, and so I'm asking for the folks of, of the area to help uh, to help me get up there so I can represent them on the Court of Appeals. Judge Michael Stadding. That's the, uh, the website is michaelstadding.com. That's S-T-A-D-I-N-G. Nice to meet you, sir. Appreciate it. Good luck hey, on the campaign trail. Such an honor to meet you. Thank you oh, so much. That's the... Now, now I feel like an imposter. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. And uh, thanks again to Judge Michael Stadding for coming in, sitting in studio. I do appreciate it. And uh, again, the website, michaelstadding.com, if you want more information on him. Uh, he is running in the Republican primary for a court of appeals seat. Uh, a reminder, do not take photographs of your voted ballot, people, and post them onto social media. <laughs> right? I had, to, I had to tell somebody who was super, super happy about voting for Jeff Jackson for Congress, so happy that they posted a picture of the touchscreen of them having voted for Jeff Jackson. And so me... Being the nice guy that I am, I'm a giver. I 
helpfully told the person, hey, that's against the law. And I gave them a link to the State Board of Elections, which says the State Board of Elections is reminding voters that North Carolina law prohibits taking photographs of or videotaping voted ballots. Voters are allowed to have phones or electronic devices with them while voting as long as those devices are not used to photograph or videotape a ballot or to communicate with anybody via voice, text, email, or any other method because photographing a marked ballot is illegal. Why would they make that illegal? Well, not that anybody would ever engage in any kind of election fraud, but yes, you could use it as proof of a vote for a candidate in a vote-buying scheme. That's why the law exists. So this way, people can't be pressured or forced into voting and then providing a visual uh, piece of evidence in order to what, collect money or to avoid some sort of penalty, right? That's the reason the law exists. So no taking pictures of who you voted for, posting them online. So I told this person, like, hey, you shouldn't do that. And they, they said it's not a paper ballot, so it's not a ballot. Now, I have heard of some stupid responses in my life. I have. I've heard a lot of stupid responses, but that, that was one of the stupidest by far. It's a touchscreen, and this person thinks that that doesn't count as the ballot because it's not paper. It's a touchscreen. <laughs> and so I had to then send the person a link to the law that defines what a ballot is, and it does, in fact, include the electronic balloting as I told him. And so um, then he said, oh, I didn't even look at the link you sent. So the guy is actually debating me over a law that I gave him two links to that he refused to look at. <laughs> Twitter is such a stupid place sometimes. No, I take that back. People are stupid. Yes, it's people who are stupid. Um, what do I got here? Oh, I forgot to mention this the other day. Judge Stadding mentioned that he used to be the uh, attorney for the FOP or an attorney with the FOP, um, or for the FOP, I think is what he said. Yeah, so anyway, uh, the FOP came out with its endorsement uh, for Sheriff for Mecklenburg County, and they are endorsing Gina Hicks. And uh, so, not for nothing, when the Fraternal Order of Police doesn't back you as the incumbent sheriff, that's, like, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Um, Hicks has earned the full endorsement of the Charlotte-Mecklenburg Fraternal Order of Police as a candidate for sheriff of Mecklenburg County. Ms. Hicks, is, uh, mix, sorry, Ms. Hicks has nearly 30 years of experience, having started her career in corrections at Rikers Island in New York. Having received U.S. Secret Service clearance, Hicks went on to train at the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, where she graduated with honors. Her experience then led her to employment with the U.S. Department of Justice at the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Hicks then relocated to Mecklenburg County, where she served an honorable 18-year career with the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office. Uh, here she worked as a training officer and a liaison for the jail's substance abuse treatment. Hicks worked her way to the rank of captain, having led the Sheriff's Office in many roles throughout her career there. Additionally, she holds a master's in business administration along with many other certifications. 
our order, the FOP, stands behind Gina Hicks as she is the most qualified candidate to lead the sheriff's office and be the next sheriff of Mecklenburg County. She's a woman of integrity, honor, devotion, and most of all, compassion. I do find it noteworthy that none of the coverage of the sheriff's race for some reason, nor did uh, any of the endorsements that were handed out uh, for McFadden, the sheriff, I did note nobody seemed to recognize the historical nature of a victory for Gina Hicks. Anybody else notice that? I mean, we got treated to that historical nature line with the Supreme Court justice nomination and approval in the appointment, Katanji Brown-Jackson. We, we heard that all the time. Like, that was the reason. That was it. And anybody who questioned anything about her actual judgment being, you know, I don't know, I think kind of important if I'm going to put you in a position where you judge stuff. Uh, and if you raise any questions about her judgment, then you were like, well, well, you just don't want this historic nominee to be appointed. It was all about the historic nature of her nomination. Well, wouldn't this be historic as well? For the exact same reason. I don't think Mecklenburg County has ever had a black female sheriff. Right? I mean, I haven't I haven't been alive for the duration of Mecklenburg's history, but I'm pretty sure this would be historic. Anyway, um, what else? In a typical election year, by the way, this is David Larson at CarolinaJournal.com. Normally, the assumption during the early voting, which is going on right now, Democrats dominate early voting. That's generally been the uh, historical trend. Democrats get a lot of their people out during the early voting. And Republicans then play catch-up on Election Day. That's the way it always worked. Uh, Republicans would lead absentee by mail, or it would be close. But a lot of Republicans, because you got a lot of military Ballots, you had overseas ballots and stuff. But Republicans would do better with the uh, absentee ballots. And the early voting ballots, those would usually be heavy Democrats because they would be running the souls to the polls, those sorts of uh, get-out-the-vote efforts, literally getting out the vote, right? This year, it's a little different. I'm sure this has... I'm sure there's nothing to read into this, Democrats, just... In fact, go ahead and just tune out for a couple of minutes while I go over some of these details. You don't need to hear any of this. That's fine. You know, you're doing great. You're. Okay, they're gone. All right. So 2022 during the primary, the pattern has gone out the window. Republican. Wait, Democrat. Are you still listening? Okay. Republican ballots are running even with Democrat ballots as of May 9th. They're running even. And this elimination of Democrats' early voting gap seems due to unaffiliated voters being twice as likely to choose Republican ballots. So the unaffiliateds are flocking to the GOP primary. Why? We'll get into that in a minute. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. It's the Pete Callender Show, 704-570-1110. 
1-800-WBT-1110. The uh, email is Pete at ThePeteCalendarShow.com. I will read some of these emails, I promise. I, Sorry. I get I get easily distracted. It's because I do so much show prep because I'm easily distracted. So it's like just a self-perpetuating cycle. I'm distracted by some other story. So I start chasing down the story and I start doing the show prep for that. And then while I'm doing that, oh, I got this other story. So I start chasing that down. Okay. North Carolina unaffiliated voters are choosing the Republican ballots more than the Democrat ballots. So usually Democrats dominate early voting, souls to the polls. Republicans then catch up on Election Day. It's one of the things I remember years ago when Pat McCrory lost the governor's race when he ran against uh, Bev Perdue. And he said he knew that he was in trouble because he went out to the polling stations and they were empty. And that's usually when you see Republicans because they vote on Election Day. Um, In 2022, though, this pattern is out the window. David Larson, Carolina Journal, reporting that Democrats have a 50.2% edge versus 49.4. So that's like the uh, for the people who are requesting ballots, the, that's almost tied, almost tied. And for context, 68% of early ballots requested Last election were for Democrats, so more than two-thirds. So they go from two-thirds now down to half. That's massive. Registered Democrats have a clear advantage in early voting turnout over registered Republicans. Once unaffiliated voters, though, get added in, the numbers even up. So again, you got Democrats turning out to early vote. you got Republicans turning out to early vote. So you have more Democrats... more registered Democrats than Republicans, and so they're asking for more Democrat ballots because they can't vote in the other party's primary, right? But then the unaffiliateds come in, and you see this shift. So, like, those unaffiliated voters, they're almost all going over to the Republican side to ask for those ballots. Now, is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Why are they doing that? Andy Jackson. He is the director of the John Locke Foundation Civitas Center for Public Integrity. We've had him on the program, friend of the show. And Andy is quoted here saying that the most likely reason for this is because Republicans have an interesting race at the top of the ticket for U.S. Senate. Um, But the Republican advantage among unaffiliated voters is not uniform across the board, he says. For example... If you look at the 11th Congressional District, where one Madison Cawthorn is running in the primary for re-election, 61% of all the voters have requested Republican ballots. That's that's going to be some that's going to be some problems. I think <laughs> that's going to be problematic. Um, so that's what's going on right now. That's an update, by the way. Early voting continues through the weekend, I believe. Election Day is on Tuesday. Um, and we'll, yes, we will be covering the elections here on WBT. So make us part of your evening. We appreciate it. Let me, uh, let me get to some of these emails here. So, uh, got a couple of people commenting on the president's inflation speech that he gave earlier today that I could, look, I could only stomach about 12 minutes of it or so, but we did what we could, right? We did what we could. Uh, so this is from Tim. 
who says, typical Biden speech. One, use class warfare to further divide people. Two, blame everybody else for your own failures. And three, propose solutions that have proven to be detrimental in the past. (laughs) Right. It's the trifecta. Stuck on stupid, he says. (laughs) Yes. Um This is from Joe. He says, Biden and the Democrats are not serious about solving problems because they like it. They want Americans to suffer. The Bolshevik tactic is to make things as miserable and unstable as possible so they can seize more power as a society is in the throes of chaos. P.S. Tell Boomer if he waits until around July, I can send him enough maters to go through every jar of Dukes he can get his hands on. All right, I will tell him that. Although it would break the cardinal rule that every radio person breaks at some point in their life, knowingly or unknowingly, which is you never accept food that comes in randomly at the station. You just... Listener food, like people who, listener food, uh, audience food, like, and this has happened to me. People send stuff in, and I always appreciate the sentiment. But I am not going to be poisoned to death out of some obligation for politeness. You know, someone comes in, they bake a cake, they drop it off. If I don't know you, or you're not related to somebody in the building, I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Not going to eat it. Not going to eat it. Um, There's also, yes, well, okay. The other rule is the audience members that you, like, and most people in, I would say, I shouldn't say most. It happens often where you end up going out on a date with an audience member. Highly recommend you don't do that ever. It's too many stories I've heard in the biz. Just letting you know, these are the two rules. Um, Let me see. Dennis says, after watching Biden give his economic speech earlier, I thought of three questions. One, do you think he really knows what he even said? Do you think he really believes what he said is the truth? Do you think he could answer any questions about the meaning of what he said? Uh, No, no, and no. I don't think so. All right, up next, CMS emergency board meeting yesterday. The knives are coming out. Actually, it's the lawsuits, which... Totally unexpected. 